0: The following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you the listener. Yellow Jackets, Sense8, Hamilton, How I Met Your Mother, Iron Fist, The Force Awakens, Candyman, The Purge, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, Cloud Atlas, The Godfather, Mindhunter, Aqua. Fantastic Four, The Incredibles, Toy Story 4, and Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Hey everybody, it's your host, Louis G, and I just have a little bit of a note for this episode. I apologize in advance, there was a little bit of a technical glitch in the Matrix with the recording, uh, but our good friend and co-host on today's episode, A.B. Seidel, was able to help fix it in time. So shout out to A.B., uh, but uh, there is a a weird gap at some point, um, and I hope it's not too distracting. The other thing I'd like to say is because of that technical issue, we ended up being uh, having to skip over a huge, huge important thing that I wanted to talk about on the episode, which is uh, the definition of modals, the two major definitions of modals that this movie, The Matrix Resurrections, plays around with. In the movie, they talk about modals being something that Neo created, to test out uh, morpheus which was a character that he created for the matrix game it's a whole thing you should watch the movie to figure out more but uh, i just wanted to talk about like a modal in programming language is a sandbox program meant to isolate and program characters and help them develop their ai uh, to test them against different types of situations scenarios and code and see how they respond and see if they follow the protocols correctly it derives from the english word modal, which is a specific type of verb, a verb that shows possibility, intent, ability, or necessity. Some strong examples of modals in English language are can, should, or must. Uh, So basically, just wanted to connect those two points and kind of uh, fanboy out a little bit more about uh, Lana Wachowski's cleverness and brilliance with language and wordplay and how it really feeds the story and how multiple layers of meanings of words are kind of translated visually on screen. That's all, really, and I'm already talking too much, so uh, here's the episode. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots, dinosaurs, or synthians. I'm your host, Louis G., and with me, as always, is my co-host or pair of co-hosts uh, and... They are, today, Conrado Falco and A.D. Seidel coming back to the show to talk more Matrix. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, it's
1: good to be here in our the last installment of our Matrix March Madness event. Very sentimental.
2: Yes. I don't know if there's deeper significance to my only having appeared on even-numbered Matrix episodes, but uh, right on. Thanks for having us, Lou. That is one of the little like hidden Easter eggs of this
0: podcast, and listeners will have to comb through and listen to every episode uh, to figure out why that is and, and unlock that mystery. Um, so I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that. That's that's your first clue to to bring you down the rabbit <laughs> hole, <laughs> listeners. Um, so which which Matrix movie are we talking about today?
1: This is the fourth and so far final Matrix movie, The Matrix Resurrections, from just last year, December 2021
0: uh that's right and um you say perhaps final uh I guess that's that might be a good starting place to discuss this movie it's been 20 years since a Matrix sequel and almost 20 years and um a lot of people have been wondering like when are they going to make a sequel are they going to make it are they just going to reboot it Uh, are the Wachowskis going to be involved so when when it was finally announced that it was coming out and only one of the Wachowskis was going to be involved I, that made me a little bit nervous. How, how about y'all? Did you have any anticipation or expectations before this came out?
1: I had huge anticipation for the movie, but only when it was announced that Lana Wachowski was going to be directing it. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, the fact that I wasn't expecting any Wachowskis to be involved. I My perception for the last 10 or so years was that the warner brothers has this property the matrix that made them a lot of money and that it's very valuable and they would love to make more money off of it but the wachowskis were not interested in making a sequel and i was not interested in a sequel that didn't involve them so once it was clear that one at least one of them was involved that's when i got excited how about Mm -hmm. you ab
2: I felt very similarly. I remember reading a quote when this one was coming out. There was a lot of obviously stuff written about the movie and about the journey of getting here. And um, around 2015, when Jupiter Ascending was coming out, uh, I think Lily Wachowski was quoted as saying that a return to the Matrix um, franchise was, uh, I think, quote, a particularly repelling idea in these times, (laughs) um, which was something that uh, she said, just noting that the studio's then and now have a tendency towards, you know, only green lighting sequels and reboots and all that. Um, and so I similarly, like you, can Conrado, once I saw that Lana was on board, I was really excited. Um, also, I have uh, been a fan of the Wachowskis' later work. Um, I was a big Sensate 8 fan. Uh, mm. And the Sensate 8 finale um, was written uh, or was co-written by David Mitchell, the author um, who wrote the book Cloud Atlas that, of course, the Wachowskis adapted into a crazy movie. Um, So when I saw that Lana was working on this and when I saw that she had recruited David Mitchell to help write this movie as well, I got really excited because I'm a huge fan of his as well.
0: This uh, I have another quote here from it's from a Screen Rant article that I'm going to link in the show notes. Um, Apparently, it could have been Zach Penn that uh, Warner Brothers wanted to go with Zach Penn, who wrote Ready Player One. He was one of the Mm -hmm. writers on The Avengers and The Incredible Hulk. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely a good, like big blockbuster writer. uh, But that's that's it could have gone in a very different direction. And I love, I kind of love this quote. Um, every year, this is Lana Wachowski, every year Warner brothers would ask us to make another one. And every year they would drive truckloads of money up to our house and say, you could have this. And we said, no, 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 not interested, not interested, not interested.
1: Yeah. That makes me wonder what made them change their mind. Um, also I'm so happy we didn't get the Zack Penn version <laughs> of the Matrix sequel. I yeah, I don't want to go too much into it, but I do think that this is the best possible version of
0: what we could have gotten. I agree, it's the best possible version. But what do you think made at least Lana change her mind that um that now is the time to make to make a Matrix
2: movie? There's a lot of conjecture about this. I think there are and I think also in the movie, there is a reason to believe that this is the case, that Warner Brothers was going to make the maybe the Zach Penn version anyway. And I think Lana felt cornered uh, and realized that unless I step in and make this Matrix movie, it's going to get made. And I think she couldn't tolerate the idea of a Matrix movie being made by um, not just Zach Penn, but anyone else.
1: Anyone mm. else. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I think the movie itself... Um, bears that interpretation or or, or that theory. Um, I do think, you know, I said this is the last Matrix movie for now, because I think in the world that we live in, if film culture continues to go the way that it's going, there will be a new Matrix movie eventually. Someone will make it. Maybe it will be remade without the Wachowskis involvement at some point or another, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. But I do think that Lana is making an effort in this movie to make it definitive to put Mm -hmm. an end to it to like in a way kind of bring stuff that maybe some people didn't like about the movie that kind of closes things off and turns it into something different and something more aligned to what they would what with what the Wachowskis have been doing in the last 10 years than the original matrix movie and the sequels even
0: so it's kind of that uh, uh godfather energy the like uh my my beautiful boy look look how they massacred my beautiful boy uh Lana just didn't you know she wanted to be able to step in and at least if they were going to massacre her creation um at least she would be the one holding holding the axe right
1: <laughs> i guess i mean i don't
0: know if it's a massacre i think it's just well a... no <laughs> it's yeah. it's not what we ended up getting is not um no. but i think that like there could have been several versions of this that were that were way way disastrous um yes what we ended up getting, and I, I think, I, I think I've said this before. This is my favorite Matrix sequel. It might be my favorite Matrix movie of all four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very Lana from everything we've talked about, all these interviews with her. She, it, 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 you get this, this energy that she's like backed into a corner. She has to do this, or else they're going to do it without her. And that's kind of the plot, like Neo never really wanted to, to ex- continue existing. He sacrificed himself. He thought that was it. But he was backed into a corner. Um, he had mm-hmm. to do something. He couldn't be inactive. He's not an inactive character. He's a hero. So it's like, it, it's there. that's just one of many,
2: many parallels that I think we're going to talk about. Yeah, it's um, kind of funny because like it's not even, a, it, it's not like it comes at great pains to form those parallels. Like you're saying, Lou, they're just there in the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. in the first... 20 minutes of the movie, Jonathan Groff, playing Smith, of course, says, quote, things have changed. The market's tough. I'm sure you can understand why our beloved parent company, Warner Brothers, has decided (laughs) to make a sequel to the trilogy. (laughs) Like, I don't think we have to work very hard to interpret it. I don't think Lana wants us to.
1: No, everything is right on the surface.
2: And what a unique position as
0: a director, creator, filmmaker to be in, where you have that much clout, that much confidence that you can put that in your movie that's produced by warner brothers calling them out and what on how they're making you feel and also being like but but i got they let look at they let me put this in the movie too like that's how important i am and my creative mind is that they're they're gonna let me get away with calling them out in the movie itself Mm -hmm. Um, and that's such a great line that is that is i wanted (laughs) i do want to talk about jonathan groff let's go over uh, some of the some of the people that they did and did not come uh, get to mm-hmm, come back mm-hmm. for the sequel, because um, I think that the casting is a big is a really big part of why this movie does and in some places doesn't quite work. Um, so, of course, they had to get Keanu Reeves back, uh, whether or not it's extremely convoluted um, how he how he ends up coming back. Um, but they had to. You you kind of can't do a Matrix movie without him. And I would argue you really can't do a Matrix movie without Carrie Ann Moss either. Um, I would have said you can't do one without Laurence Fishburne or, um, or Hugo Weaving. But this movie manages without them. And we'll talk about like, uh, you know, who, whether, where that succeeds and where that fails. But replacing Morpheus in this is, well, replacing Morpheus and in some ways Agent Smith, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, um, who I know from Candyman uh, that was mm-hmm. that came out earlier this year. Um, also from the Watchmen TV
1: show on HBO, who's really that, good in that too. That's and right, Aquaman,
0: where he plays Black um, Manta. Jonathan Groff is our updated <laughs> Agent Smith. Uh, of course, from Hamilton mm-hmm. and probably other things. That's the only Frozen. credit I can name. And Mindhunter. Which oh, Mindhunter, yeah. It. Yeah, um, which we, a big fan of. We also got Neil Patrick Harris, uh Priyanka Chopra Jonas Christina Ricci um, <laughs> and pretty much the entire cast of Sense8 yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh and I my gosh I forgot the the one of the bigger bigger um characters in the movie Jessica Henwick who plays Bugs uh mm-hmm. Jessica Henwick I know from Iron Fist um and also from The Force Awakens she was one of the, the rebel pilots um, and so, also
1: the returning Jada Pinkett Smith.
0: Yeah. Yes. as old Niobe. In really, really good like prosthetics and, and old <laughs> old person uh makeup. So so yeah, what do you how do y'all feel about Morpheus and Agent Smith being replaced with different actors? I
1: that's a big question. I will say, not to like totally change the topic, but I think we, it's something along these lines is that I do think that I really love that this movie doubles down on the relationship between Neo and Trinity. Mm-hmm. And I think the first time I saw it, I agree, Lou, I was a little bit like, Oh, I wish like maybe Lawrence Fishman were here, Hugo Weaving. But I do think that, you know, what is being done in this movie, especially after rewatching all of them in close succession, like we have done throughout this month it became so much, and knowing where the fourth one goes, I was really paying much more attention to the relationship between Neo and Trinity and their love story and how that is there from the beginning. And it's very important, but somehow the culture and the people and all of us, I'm not going to say, I don't want to speak for everyone, but like at least me, never saw that as quite the way that the Wachowskis saw it, I think. they really, For them, it was really the heart of the whole thing and this movie really doubles down on that to kind of like reinterpret it for everyone else to say like hey this is what this was all about all all this you know all along and I do mm-hmm. think in that sense it might be actually a strength of the movie to only bring those two back so that it's you know except Jada Pinkett Smith comes back but she's more of a supporting character so like to really focus on those two to really hammer down, this was what was important to us about this, I think
0: kind of works for me. I think you nailed it. At the end of the credits, there's even a dedication to Lana's uh, parents that says love Mm -hmm. is the genesis of everything. So I think you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right that that's the theme from the very beginning.
1: And thank you for mentioning that because that reminds me that uh, I also read that the death of their parents was also a big reason why that kind of unlocked the idea for the movie for them it Mm. was really like when their parents died and she was having a hard time with that obviously she found a lot of comfort in the idea of neo and trinity being reconnected after death you know being continuing to be together after they had died and i think that gave her the idea to like go in that direction for this movie
2: Yeah, I think anyone who's listened to our conversation about The Matrix Reloaded and your conversations about the other two movies, I think um, will understand that the three of us certainly are people who believe, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think it's safe to say that we all believe that uh, the Wachowskis, Lana in particular, doesn't do anything without intention. Whether it's something we like or something we don't like, there is a reason for everything she's doing. And I think when I first saw this movie and I encountered decisions that made me maybe uncomfortable, like the replacement of... Morpheus or Smith or anything like that the The question I tried to ask myself in those moments wasn't like oh this doesn't work it was more like well what is the intention here and mm-hmm. what is the goal and how am I meant to receive that and maybe my discomfort is a part of that and I do think it is for what it's worth certainly with Morpheus and in the movie yeah. you see Neo I mean Morpheus in this movie is something Neo created out of his memories and experiences because Neo needed Morpheus mm-hmm. and in the same way that we did. And the, and and we find out they're
0: fragmented memories and experiences. He doesn't yes. have full access to his, his whole memory because the Matrix has resurrect, literally resurrected him um, but trapped him in this other type of loop uh, where instead of being like a struggling up-and-coming programmer, he's a very successful game designer. And so he's sort of stuck in the trap of success instead mm-hmm. of the trap of like the mundane... Uh, ant, you know, part of the yeah. grist for the mill um, lowly peon I love,
1: loop. I love that change so much. I love so much about this movie, just to begin with. Actually, oh, okay. I have too many things to say <laughs> all at once. So let me try to organize myself. First of all, I want to say I agree with what you were saying, A.V., very much. And I do not want to be kind of like the grumpy guy in this episode that is like complaining about all the movie people who didn't get the movie. So I just want to get this out of the way right now. <laughs> Um, I, the reaction to this movie, I wasn't surprised that so many people seem to dislike it and didn't get it because, you know, that's been the Matrix sequels from Mm -hmm. the beginning, but it's still kind of uh, very disappointing and heartbreaking to me that so many of the reactions seem to go in the direction that A B was saying it was just like a complete rejection without any attempt i feel to understand what is happening like to to mm. consider that what that these things can are choices with purpose you know that isn't they're not mistakes and that's okay i'm, I'm going in the right direction already i'm starting to talk about like cinema scenes and all this youtube <laughs> shit that i hate but whatever you have
2: to honestly go for it
1: yeah, I mean I... it's just like it's such a dumb way to look at movies. That's what I love about robots versus dinosaurs is that you get like you Lou, like no matter what the movie is, you are always trying to be on the understand the movie. Like mm. to first of all, let's talk about the movie, you know, even if it seems dumb, let's just mm. let's live in its world and t- mm. ask the basic questions of like how do robots exist in this world? What is the dinosaur logic here? And from there, you get an appreciation. Uh, You know, most of the time People who make It takes so much work To make a movie Nobody just like Mm -hmm. You know, so like There's gotta be something there That you can get out of it Um, And especially with people As talented as the Wachowski So, okay, whatever Rant over
2: No, you're right But You can't make a Matrix sequel By accident So clearly everything's on purpose and I also think it's you know one of the things that makes this conversation maybe more in that direction Corrado at least from my perspective is that this movie came out a few months ago so we're still in kind of the cultural experience of it it's not like the Matrix sequels where you know some people hate it some people love it we can kind of have a conversation removed from its cultural impact and just engage with our own appreciation for it Mm -hmm. that's harder here so I personally I am also coming in with a bit of energy of like oh, it's just raw it's like there's some people who really hate it and that grinds my gears a little bit I also really hesitate to to open this can of worms. But obviously I think the movie uh, really reminded me of the experience of seeing the last Jedi and some Mm. of um, just the audience's relationship with that movie. Mm -hmm. um, And the kind of same moments of discomfort that people talk about um, are similar. And I actually think it's a pretty apt comparison because that's also a movie interrogating the validity of sequels in the context of a franchise like Star Wars, just as this one is doing so in, in the matrix. And yeah, I think we're just in it, you know. It's going to be raw and we're going to be people that get us upset. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: you know, the sheeple aren't going anywhere, right? They they don't want freedom or empowerment. They want <laughs> they want what's familiar. <laughs> they want comfort. They want And that's
1: why it's so good. Controlled. And that's why it- like that's the other thing that make drives me crazy is that the movie there's nothing to interpret it's all on the surface and yet so many people don't (laughs) seem to get it i don't understand like i saw some idiot on twitter talk about like oh look at this warner brothers talking about themselves in the movie naming a character Bugs because they own the character and i'm like are you an idiot like did you even (laughs) see the movie
2: you know yeah maybe maybe this is a more generous read on that um because i agree with you Conrado. but i think the entire first act is sort of the movie asking us why we want it to exist. It's looking at us and saying like, yep. okay, the, our parent company, the Warner Brothers, wants a Matrix sequel. We know why, because it'll make them a truckload of money. Why do you want a Matrix sequel? This mm-hmm. story ended. And I think there are a lot of people in the audience who are like, fuck you, I want a Matrix sequel because the Matrix fucking is cool. yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't want to do the deeper work of interrogating what it means to keep having the filmmakers you love you know, to really prevent the filmmakers you love from a lot, from growing, from moving on to other stories mm-hmm. and asking that the Wachowskis and Keanu Reeves and Carrie-Anne Moss, real people, what does it mean for fans to say, I want you to stay in this world forever and keep making me Matrix content? In a way, the analyst, Neil Patrick Harris's character, is the most audience stand in of all. He's the one who literally resurrects them yeah. mm-hmm. and forces them to relive this experience. I think I can bridge
0: this gap because I saw this movie on Christmas Day. Um, It came out around then, and I I saw it on Christmas Day. I went to the theater. Um, It was like my Christmas gift to myself, and I had been waiting. I was such a big fan of the Matrix series. I had been waiting so long for a sequel. I'm really glad we didn't record a podcast immediately after I saw it in the theater because my first experience was this is really throwing me off balance. I don't think I like this. It did make me feel uncomfortable. AB, it's exactly what you were describing in the first third of the movie, at least, where I was like, they're literally looking at me from the screen and saying, hey, audience member that bought a tick to this movie, why did you do that? You're the reason we had to make this thing. Yeah. We're, we're, we're only dancing up here on this stage because you're, you're here. So why are you here? What's wrong with you? And like I didn't, I didn't, the, because I was in the movie theater, I didn't have time to really reflect on that. Mm-hmm. And I just c- kind of felt annoyed by the rest of what I was seeing. I had such strong feelings that I couldn't reconcile, that I took the train home. Uh, it was also, it also premiered on HBO Max the same day that it was in theaters. So I immediately, because I couldn't stop thinking about it, immediately turned it on and I spent the rest of the afternoon watching it again. And literally, it was like, I've never gone 180 on my opinion on a movie so quickly, Um, literally within hours of of seeing it for the first time. And it's it's all of the reasons that it made me angry the first time are a lot of the reasons that I loved it when I gave it a second chance.
2: Yeah, it's almost like people forgot that all of the Matrix movies are provocations directed at the audience. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's not like this one is unique in the fact that it looks at you in the audience and says, like, you're part of the problem. Wake up. <laughs> yep. Think about yeah. what you're doing. That's what literally all of the Matrix movies oh, do. Yeah, all of yeah. them are
1: there. But of course, each time it becomes more and more... Um, it becomes more complex each time, right? Like, the, the ask is different the first time around. is much more comfortable than, the, you know, the, once you repeat it, you and they don't clearly... They're not the kinds of filmmakers that will just repeat the same thing over and over. They want to introduce new things. And the more you introduce, the more the audience is confronted with, with other stuff, you know? Right. Um,
2: so like the only people who watch the first Matrix movie and they're like, hey, are cops, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> like Agent Smith.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, So I always like to talk about the opening scene of a movie and this one Uh, we've seen it before um, on purpose. We've seen the opening scene of this before because it's Mm -hmm. resurrected. Uh, We get this green logo, uh, it zooms through one of the E's and resurrections. And then we get this DOS prompt and um, it's saying like modal 101 breach user violation, host alarm. Uh, We find out later on that's because Neo has built this this subroutine within his game that he's programming. That allows him to basically let a—it's called a modal—and um, I really, really want to get into. I like—I did some—I had to educate myself on what that is—and and I'm really excited to talk about like <laughs> what a modal is and what it means. Um, but Bugs is breaking into this modal, and uh, she is talking to her operator, Seek, um, and she says something really cool, which is like, "You were right. The skylight was a window pane." Uh, because we find out later on that the way they get in and out of the Matrix is no longer through phone booths, because, of course, those are archaic, a relic of the 90s. Um, <laughs> it's mirrors now. Mirror, literally, like, they've taken that the Alice in Wonderland metaphor to the extreme, and they're literally, like, porting through mirrors now. Um, and we get right into what looks exactly like the opening scene of the first Matrix, but something's a little off. The actress playing Trinity when they, when they kind of circle around and you get a clear look at her face, you realize, oh, wait, that's not Carrie Ann Moss. What's going on here?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: God, there's just so much to talk about with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then these agents show up, and uh, an agent that looks unlike any other agent that we've seen before for various reasons gets out of a car, puts on sunglasses, kind of looks like Morpheus... Um and 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 says the famous line, uh, no lieutenant, your men are already dead.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Um and right, and that and we reveal that that is Morpheus, right? Like this whole beginning section kind of builds to the two books finding Morpheus and that being like a sign that she has been on the right track, thinking that Neo is out there and mm-hmm. that he can be found. And, and it's a really cool moment when Morpheus is like, oh, I, I know what I have to do. I am Morpheus, I have to find Neo. That's why I'm here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he's a program that's been created to do that, right? Yes. yes. And he's like though, half
2: Morpheus, half Agent Smith. Exactly, yeah. I think that's like inte- like explicit that Neo kind of combined his memories and experiences of those two figures to create mm-hmm. this new Morpheus. Before we get into like what any of this means, I'm just curious, on an experiential level, one of the most incredible things with this movie, even the first time for me, was going in. I expected a lot of wonderful things. I expected like deep philosophical questions and great, you know, uh, imagery, and of course all those things. What I didn't necessarily expect, and what was such a wonderful surprise, was that my mind could be blown again in the same way that the first Matrix movie did it. Where like throughout the first act of this movie, I'm just like, "Where are we? And what did, what is going on? I just don't understand any of this," and even when we come out of that modal, I'm just like do, jumping through hoops trying to figure out how any of this works and makes sense and wh- whether we're in the Matrix or not, whether the movie's actually about a guy in San Francisco who made a mm, game. Like, right? You know, just this – it really forces you into this very uncomfortable but I thought really exciting position where I'm just like this movie could be about a guy who makes games in San Francisco and is in love with a w- married woman and like, that could be the whole movie mm-hmm. and I'm here for that because, okay, let's go, you know?
0: yeah did you did you start to think that like bugs was maybe a video game character and like all of this is just we're just literally watching a video game
2: yeah i I had no idea and i do think by the way it is interesting to consider why in the world of this movie the matrix trilogy is presented as a game rather Mm. than a movie um Mm -hmm. because i think that's an interesting choice uh, and one that forces a distance between the audience and the movie because for us it was not a video game except for the matrix online and enter the Mm -hmm. matrix Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what I thought other than that. Bugs was like the coolest and most attractive character I've seen in the movie in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Bugs rules. I, yeah, I have nothing but
0: good things to say about bugs. I've always loved Jenna Jessica Henwick. She, uh, hot take should have been the iron fist instead Mm. of what's his name, but whatever, this is not the iron Fist podcast. Um, when, when it zooms out of that modal, they, it is very disorienting because we see, um, we see Keanu sitting at a, at a desk, and he's looking at that readout. And it's like we've seen many times before where it like zooms out from the matrix. It's all green rain. And it's an operator sitting in one of those like hovercrafts. Uh, so it is, it does really throw you off. Of like, well, what's real then? What what layer, are we still in a re- layer of reality or just another deep layer of the matrix? Turns out, spoiler guys, deep layer of the matrix.
1: Yeah. Um, and I do like, that um that neo it, it, i love the way that they recontextualize neo's uh entrapment in the matrix and how it changes from like you were saying before lou being just a stooge to be in the head of uh, you know the creative mind that has been celebrated all around that you have at your disposal you know the resources to create the games that you want to create at the same time that you have inadvertently used your memories to be turned into a video game that ends up being like almost making your entrapment and the subjugation of the whole of humanity even more effective through your own experience and through your own, by selling your own memories kind of to them, right? Mm. And and I really love that. And I love the, the idea that the, the new entrapment, of society in 2021 compared to 1999, it is not so much, it is, it is different that there is a level in which waking up doesn't seem to be enough, that it seems like waking up is harder or like, you know, like Mm. there's been time since the matrix and the world has changed in some ways and some others not. And there is a real uh, kind of like struggle in the movie. I think to 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 think about what makes us so complacent in these ways. Like you know, what are we comfortable with, and why why don't we change certain things about ourselves and about the world that we live in? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not making that much sense. What do
0: you guys have thoughts about that? It is. It's it's that instead of being a lowly peon, he's trapped. Um, he's trapped by his own legacy. His own legacy is what. Like now he now that it's out now that he put it out into the world, it's also the thing that like he's beholden to, like his parent Warner Brothers is making him live in this world that he's already processed all of his feelings about. Um But they're making him go through it over and over and over for the rest of his life.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and it speaks to the idea that. uh about the, the 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 what you were asking the first and about the first movie, Lou, about like why why wouldn't you take the red pill or the blue pill? Why wouldn't you just stay? Like even if you are in the top of the hierarchy within the matrix, it's there's still alienation and there's still not satisfying because it's not real life. It's not real, you know, experience and connection. Um, mm. sorry, but you were gonna say something, I think.
2: No, I was just gonna say, I think I mean I agree with everything you're saying, and I don't think that, you know, it, I think it all makes total sense. You know. One of the questions that I always ask in the Matrix movies, uh, and we talked about this a little bit in Reloaded, is, you know, why 1999? And here the question is, like, why 2021? Obviously, it's like when the movie came out. So Mm -hmm. there's something powerful about setting the world of the Matrix in our present. It makes it more directly relatable and it makes it easier for us to understand that the movie's talking about us. Mm -hmm. But there's also a moment, I think, in the analyst when he reveals that he's actually uh, the, I hate to say the architect, when he reveals that he is the the creator of the new Matrix. He gets at this idea that this moment in 2021, rather than 1999, is more conducive to the success of a Matrix-like construct because we're more complacent, more willing to submit ourselves to a system as long as it tells us pleasing fictions. It's one of the movies Mm -hmm. many, I think, jabs at blockbuster culture in general, this idea that because of our feelings, not because of... He says something to the effect of like, Mm -hmm. um, it's not fact, it's feeling. Um, mm-hmm. we are, we are telling ourselves fictions all the time. And as long as he provides a fiction that is palatable to people, they'll keep buying into it. They won't want the truth. Yeah. I have
0: that written down. Here's the thing about feelings. Turns out they're easier to control than facts. The worse we treat you, the more we manipulate you, the more energy you produce. Uh, he says that you're, you're basically 99% of the human population are quietly yearning for what you you don't have while dreading losing what you do. Desire Mm -hmm. and fear. Which is
1: very, very poignant. That, like, seems very truthful to me when I heard that in the movie. Mm -hmm. And that also makes me think the movie is, you know, many things, but one of them is also a movie about uh, (laughs) the power of logging off, you know, like going off social media. (laughs) Uh, The end, you know that moment when Trinity not to get, well, it's a spoiler heavy podcast. So the end when they're flying and the helicopter is coming for them and Trinity just like, okay, bye. And she leaves. That seems to me like she locked up. You know, that's (laughs) that's the thing. She closed Twitter (laughs) for the day and good for her.
2: (laughs) Yes. I love that quote so much. I think there's, first of all, something really scary about this idea that like the machines have been able to harvest more energy from us because they've tapped in to our desperation and our desire Mm. to be free of their control. And as long as we don't know that what the thing we want to be free of is them, Mm. but instead it's just this like mysterious yearning for some connection that exists that we'll never understand or be able to fulfill because we're so hooked up to the rigors of daily life. Um, I mean, we're just describing jobs. Like it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this is but a really that's deeply anti-work. A metaphor since the it's first always movie. been the yes, it's always been the metaphor, and I think part of the way it's presented in this movie is Lana responding to a world that, since the Matrix trilogy came out, has not become more anti-work necessarily, has not become more communal, but has deepened its alienation. And I think mm-hmm. while it's very despairing to think about, this movie does kind of pose once again what the Matrix has always said, which is that the answer is out there. It's just. I- I love that, um, that. Yes,
0: like the machines, the analyst, who's the who's the main villain. Some of the machines, yes, that is like they figured out this new form of control, and that's what they're doing uh, to get even more electricity pr- uh, uh, out of us. But because, and this is brought up so many times in the film, because everything cannot really be reduced to a binary. It's not the matrix. It's not the machines versus the humans. Some of the machines. Are like no, we don't like this this arrangement. We liked what Neo was offering at the end of Resurrection, uh, at the end of Revolutions. Uh, We want that. And and it's I I actually missed this the first time. I don't know why I missed it, but there was literally a civil war between the machines at one point, where they 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 and that's how we end up with like these these allies uh, when they get to when they get to Bugs' ship. She has these like robots on her ship that are allies. When they get to IO, Niobe is working directly with robots. And she explains how Zion is not a thing anymore. It it was a dream that couldn't last because because the people there were looking at it in binary terms. And they were Mm -hmm. like, no, machines bad, humans good. But only the humans that were able to embrace other possibilities, a more middle of the road approach and compromise and work with the machines that wanted to work with them, we're able to create this this city of Io where it's more, uh, everything's balanced and there's more unity and and harmony.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the first Matrix movie um, made after Lana and Lily Wachowski have come out as trans. Mm. Um, It's the first Matrix movie made after our cultural understanding of the Matrix as a trans allegory has really, Mm. I think, pervaded uh, pop culture. And so there was no way ever that this movie wasn't going to be read as a trans text Mm -hmm. and i think the movie is not coy about that either at all i mean from the beginning this is like i hesitate to say it's the most trans matrix movie because i really think they all are but it's certainly the most um you know overt like uh uh, attack on the binary this as you're saying Mm -hmm. lou i mean from bugs um monologue to morpheus in the very beginning of the movie where she like describes the the choice between red and blue pill as a binary that is itself an illusion the the, the point there being it's not about what pill you take it's about you choosing to yep. take the pill at all um and that the idea of reality and truth and fiction being boiled down to a binary choice is also a lie um the movie's going to great pains i think to break down the binary uh and it does so throughout the movie while also building up this really beautiful binary of neo and trinity as two sides of the same coin, um, something that for what it's worth, I think the Matrix trilogy was always doing and something that um, a good friend of mine, Alex Wismer, and I talked about after we, after we rewatched Matrix Revolutions was always this feeling of, you know, a little, not frustrated, but disappointed that um, when Trinity passes, Neo is able to kind of conclude his journey without her. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt that mm-hmm. there was such a buildup to the two of them as one, and then it felt like it just dissipated. And this movie brings that right back and really answers that challenge, um, all kind of in the service of this beautiful uh, love story. And also like trans story. Um, there's a great Twitter thread. Uh, I wish I could remember who tweeted it just about images of hands in this movie and all okay. of the moments that hands touch and come together mm-hmm. or reaching for each other. Um, there's a lot of it and it's really beautiful. And it's such an expression of that yearning that we were just describing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There is I I can think of two different ways in which hands are used. One of them is Neo whenever he is at the therapist's office or whenever he's in the beginning of the movie he's having like you know these moments of like oh my god am I going crazy and he keeps touching like his we get close ups of his hands touching his uh his thighs um, and that's kind of like you know in a mm. sort of like a therapist grounding exercise kind of a thing for like you know the thing you would do when if you have like a panic attack or something like that. And then, of course, the reaching of hands with with Trinity and Neo and the idea that when they're reaching for each other, when they hold hands, they like have this energy blast, you know, and, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so, yeah, I hadn't seen that thread about the hands on Twitter, but that's really, really I'll interesting. Try to find it. Definitely that imagery. So many interesting images. Um, Absolutely. But I was going to say about the trans allegory. I, but you are feeling like maybe that's not you but but the people around you tell you that you are and um film critic um Esther Rosenfield on Letterboxd wrote a review right after she saw the movie um uh, when she which was um very interesting which i didn't know but she said like did you know that the reason most detransitioners give for doing it, sorry, let me read that again. Did you know that the reason most detransitioners give for doing it isn't it that they didn't want to be trans or it wasn't right for them? It's actually because the people in their lives, the world around them made it impossible to continue, which I thought Mm -hmm. was really interesting in the context of this movie. And I feel like that is the emotional core of the movie for me. Something that I connected with was that like Neo and Trinity both feeling so alienated in this new world so deeply unhappy, but at the same time hesitant because they they just don't see the other option. And that felt, um, that hit me um, both times
2: very strongly. I completely agree. Lou, you mentioned mirrors earlier, and obviously um, I think the choice to use mirrors to get in and out of the matrix is beautiful and very pointed, but also the way reflections play into this movie in the, con- mm-hmm. in the context of the trans allegory as well, mm-hmm. this degree to which Neo and Trinity in mirrors to each other, to other people. Look Do different. not look the way that they look to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my it's god. So and, overt and it's and so that powerful. Scene
1: where Trinity talks about talking to her husband Chad oh. about um telling her that she doesn't look like Trinity, you know, like saying, like, doesn't she look like me? And he yes. laughed.
2: That scene is so heartbreaking. And what's most heartbreaking about that scene is then she says, and I laughed along with him. And yes. it's just
0: so oh my God. And we get this like quick reflection of what her face actually looks like in the, in the table surface. She mm-hmm. to me she kind of looks like Hope Davis. I don't know what actress they actually. Actually, yeah she
1: does, she that does moment, that's it, a
0: good call um but yeah it's like it's very much like okay it looks like a woman of the same age as Carrie Ann Moss but like it's not Trinity it's not that sharp angular warrior face that that Trinity has um and that's you know yeah it's it's so it's so poignant and sad that that not only man the Matrix can create whatever life for their characters their their their, their blue pills that they want to, and they've deliberately trapped her in this soul-sucking marriage. And it's, I mean, it's all the reasons that she kicks the analyst's jaw off at the end and it's so satisfying. Um, but it actually, the, I, I'm really glad we're talking about Trinity already because um, I, I the, one of my biggest things with like, especially with the trans allegory of everything, it when watching this movie, after watching the other three Matrix movies in a row, made me realize we've never... The question of who Trinity was before she was red pilled never comes up. Like we know Neo's real name was Thomas Anderson, or not real. Well, okay, let me take that back because Neo's real name is Neo. Um, we know that in The Matrix, his name was Thomas Anderson. There's not even like speculation on what, what was Trinity, what was her job, what was she called before? She is introduced to us as Trinity and she is Trinity. There we go. Hey Lou, you're uh, back. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. My my Zoom just crashed all of a sudden. <laughs> um, where did it cut me off? Awesome. Let's pick up from there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Trinity. Um, sorry if my voice sounds suddenly different, listeners. But uh, we had a glitch in the matrix, and luckily, Ab was able to help fix that. So thank you, Ab. Um, of course. But yeah, it's like it's it it, it it it's related to the concept of like the dead name thing, where like the 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 series is not concerned with what trinity was before because her true self is trinity and that's what they present us with that's what we see and when the matrix resurrects her and traps her in this uh this other life where she's like a motorcycle mechanic she's got three kids and a and a husband named Chad um it's that's like it it's all i wonder if that's based on any traces of her blue pill life from from before Morpheus rescued her or Mm. if it's just something they completely fabricated what do you guys think
1: um it's interesting because when she confronts the analyst she tells him something like really Tiffany and and he's like well it was an inside joke you know which I don't know exactly what that means there I I feel like probably Lana and you know the people who wrote the movie must have an idea of what Trinity's Uh, life in the matrix must have been like before she woke up the first time but i get i don't think anything is explicitly said about that
2: yeah it's Hmm. all guesswork i don't think so only because i think if the analyst's goal was to make neo yearn for trinity making her like this sort of suburbanite woman but still a motorcycle mechanic still kind of super cool is like the perfect version of it's like oh she's like married with kids but also she like is trinity (laughs) you know she's Um, cool mom yeah yeah she's cool mom also uh fun fact about the movie i walked out of it when i saw it the second time with someone who really loved it but they were like man it's just i feel like chad was a little too on the nose i feel like maybe they (laughs) could have gone with a name that was a little less like obviously whatever and for those who don't know the actor who plays that character is named chad um that's chad stahelski who was not only uh who is the director in his own right? He has directed yeah. the John Wick movies, but was Whoa. also Keanu Reeves' stunt double in the original Matrix movies. No, that's blowing my mind. So I think it's so cool that for like Trinity's fake husband, they took Neo stunt. Neo double.
0: stunt double, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is that's such a cool bit of trivia. Oh my gosh, and,
2: and his name like, is Chad.
1: Yeah. I wonder which came first, Chad Stahelski or Chad the name, but I think it's perfect either yeah. way.
2: Mm. And I love that because his real name is Chad. Anyone who does have that critique, like Chad's a little on the nose. I'm like, that's just his name, man. You know, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> that's that guy's name. But it's like it's you were saying earlier, like everything is so
0: stark, everything is so surface level. What they're they're not trying to. Uh, uh, as much as everything is layered, and there are more meanings, the more you unpack it, the more you look into it and dig deep. Everything they're telling you right on the surface, like what this is our intention, this is our meaning behind everything, um, and you can dig into deeper layers if you want. But we've already we've already told you up front, like what it is. Um, it even even like tie, that even ties into that comment you were talking earlier about uh, when Smith is like our beloved parent company, Warner mm-hmm. Brothers um has decided to make a sequel with or without us the fact that they they let that be in the movie also shows that's not even a business decision they're ashamed of they're like yeah yeah right. we were going to do that like yeah. <laughs> you can tell people that that doesn't doesn't change things everyone knows what the movie industry is like everyone knows what big production studios are like we're not a, we're not yeah. ashamed of that
1: there's also i feel like ever since I feel like this starts with The Simpsons and how they used to make fun of Fox, the television network all the time because they were on mm-hmm. fox um uh, that it kind of has become kind of like a little bit cool for the studios to make a let the, their own shows make fun of them, you know, like in third yep. they make a lot of fun of n b c and yes. you know, things like that so I think that's actually kind of like can use this as to be like, yeah, see, we like I, we know we have like, a sense you know? of humor, <laughs> yeah,
0: yep just a little bit of sh- shameless self-promotion. I'm, I'm a writer in a sketch show and we perform in a bar and our one and only sponsor is Bud Light. Like you get a free Bud Light with your ticket. And we, as writers, we take every opportunity to talk about how shitty and flat and tasteless Bud Light is <laughs> right. in scenes. Like just because it's like, okay, we can take a swing at them. It doesn't, no one's going to not drink it just because right. we made fun of it.
2: Because yeah. in the context of the Matrix, Bud Light isn't the enemy. Warner Brothers isn't the enemy. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers is a system that exists and the enemy is our submission to that system of control. What mm. we really need to do is say, fuck you, Warner Brothers, and right. go make radical works of art.
0: And we couldn't say that if we didn't have something to point our middle fingers at, right? There has to That's be interesting. Yeah. a target. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because that's that is essentially the analyst. That's the difference between this. This, I, I, and I'm pretty sure this is the eighth version of the Matrix because the seventh version was that sort of harmonious one that came about after Neo's sacrifice, mm-hmm. and they kind of allude to the fact that like that was the analyst was there. He witnessed that moment, and he realized I have a better idea. Um, so I think he like shut it down and rebooted it and built the Matrix 8.0. Right. which takes advantage of that. Like instead of, um, instead of, well, not instead of, but in addition to all of the ways they used our brain to generate electricity, he discovered there's a way, like we can supercharge it. I can increase productivity by giving you these, like letting you get so close to your desires, but you have to have something mm-hmm. in the way.
1: Mm. Right. And I think he does that, If I understood correctly, he does that with everyone in that matrix. So it's a matrix that Mm -hmm. is like trying maximizing as much energy as possible, but especially Neo and Trinity, because they are so powerful, he gets to have even more energy out of them, right? Like them alone are like a, you know, like, I don't know, like a million nuclear power plants or something. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. It seems like they're like a sort of symbolic and literal kind of crux That, you know, it's, it's the like cornerstone of this new matrix, like Neo and Trinity existing, like one foot away from each other at all times is the like source of the energy that makes this whole system work.
0: Mm -hmm. Which also begs the question of why don't they just constantly have a hundred sentinels hovering over those two pods? Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because they're in like an impenetrable building that isn't impenetrable at all.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. the 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 answer is it would make the uh, act two climax where they rescue Trinity impossible. Um, But from a machine standpoint, I can't see why they didn't make that decision. Yes.
2: By the way, before we move on from some of the beautiful, I think, trans imagery, we were talking a little bit about mirrors before. One of the other things I wanted to say about mirrors was, um, Mm -hmm. well, two things really. Lou, you had talked about how now the way you move in and out of the Matrix is through mirrors. And I think, um, there is both, uh, there's a, there's a French philosopher, psychoanalyst named, um, Jacques Lacan, uh, who, um, I studied a bit of in college and I think like anyone who had a kind of a rad, uh, sociology professor probably read a bunch of Lacan. Um, and Lacan is famous for theorizing, uh, what he called the mirror stage, um, mm-hmm. which was this moment, uh, in, uh, an infant's life, but then ultimately he actually, um, believe that the mirror state is sort of ongoing. It's this moment when you first view your reflection and recognize yourself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, you are objectifying yourself. You're turning yourself, this idea, this thing that exists inside of you into an object that, you know, and it's, it is sort of the relationship then in the mirror between the ego and the body. Um, Mm -hmm. And in a way passing through mirrors is to destroy the objectification of the body or the objectification of the ego in the body. Um, So I think there's, and like the Wachowskis are definitely people who have read Lacan. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I know there's like a bonus feature on, I think reloaded revolutions or something where they basically Oh yeah. It's on reloaded where they sit. uh, It's a commentary track on the architect scene. And it's just them like giving a, basically the same level of philosophical lecture. The architect is giving just over that scene where they're talking about all their influences. So I'm Mm, certain that this is something that, lana was thinking about um and i thought it was really interesting even one of the one of the like
0: the opening shot of the movie after um it's a reflection after they show like the rain or whatever and like they're we're we're getting into this modal it's uh boots walking across pavement but it then the camera pans up a little bit it's we've been watching a reflection in a puddle
2: yeah yeah so
0: yeah i love that
1: a lot of that throughout the whole movie, yeah, one hundred percent. I what do we think of the this is, I guess maybe changing the topic a lot. Um, but um, what do we think of the action in the movie? I think that's one of the things that coming out of it, I felt like I love this movie, but I did think that the action wasn't on par with like some of the most iconic uh matrix sequences that we've seen so i think mm-hmm. that i also thought was probably a reason why people were disappointed with the movie for you know which i it's more to me more understandable than the others um there are some cool stuff for sure there's like i think like imagery is really good even though the action sequences maybe are not like the best that have ever been done which is what you can say about like reloaded and some of the other movies Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that moment where all the bodies start falling off the buildings, that's like really
0: crazy imagery that I really loved. That's a really good one that, um, I, I, just in terms of like the martial arts, this Mm -hmm. doesn't have like the first three, uh, an iconic martial arts Mm -hmm. fight. Like the first one that, that training sequence, um, with Morpheus and Neo, the first time is incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. In the second one, the burly brawl with 125 or however many Agent Smiths—100, I think it's 195 Agent Smiths—and then it, like the super burly brawl in the third movie. Yeah, um, it's great. The so, mo— to me, the most iconic like kung fu fight in this one is that moment when uh, Smith and and Neo are like. They fought their way to the basement of where the Merovingian yeah. is. Oh, the Merovingian! We didn't mention him. He returned. They start, <laughs> they start throwing blows at each other and their moves are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. thinking of the exact same punch, the exact same kick. Like their fists literally connect at first uh, because they're literally, quote, you know, mirroring each other um, mm-hmm. in their fighting style
1: yeah okay you've mentioned both smith and merovingian which are my two keywords to like
2: <laughs> say we need to talk about smith and merovingian mm-hmm. um ab i was just gonna say before we dive into them i feel like just because the action isn't maybe superlative in the same way that it is in the original trilogy is not to say that it's not good and mm-hmm. both moments that you two just described the swarm mode at the end of the movie where people are throwing themselves out of buildings and sick I've, fun which is really sick Uh, sick fun. Yeah, exactly. What (laughs) says Um, and also the Smith and neophyte, I think are both excellent. Um, And again, at the end of the day, all of the action in this movie, like it is in all of the matrix movies is about expressing character. Um, Mm -hmm. The action scenes in this are largely conversations with between characters, between characters and their environment and so on. Um, And at the end of the day, I think Lana like has absolutely no obligation to make a fourth perfect action movie.
0: Nope, um, no. And instead You're right. Wanted to
2: make a romance that has yeah. some action in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. The I actors are fair. older. The characters are older. But an argument for that is Neo's powers should evolve, so like he shouldn't have to throw as many punches. I'm mm-hmm. okay with the fact that he's just able to put his hand up and a force field, like a uh, you know a mm-hmm. a Sue Storm force field, just appears mm-hmm. because we saw that in the first movie. Like he literally just looks at the agents shooting at him and he goes no and puts his hand up and the bullets just stop. Mm-hmm. Now like that power has evolved to where he's so good, he's so the one um that he doesn't even need to he doesn't even need to throw that many punches. He can just kind of like, oh, force field.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I do want to talk about, I definitely want to talk about, um, the Merovingian. Uh, I also want to talk about my, one of my favorite characters in this movie, Gwyn Devere. Who's Did that? The Jell-Clock, uh, Gwen Devere. When I say the actress's name, you're going to know, um, Christina Ricci.
1: Oh, yes.
0: sure. Well, How she wild is... is it that that's her name? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That she's like for one scene, maybe has like two lines. She delivers some of those Warner Brothers stuff, right? Um, Yeah, I feel like maybe there's more in the cutting room floor that she's in than just that one brief moment. Because you know it's Christina Ricci, so they I feel like they probably had more of her at one point. Um, But yeah, I mean, or she might have been busy filming Yellow Jackets. That could also be the case. I mean, she's Miss Warner Brothers. I think she's great in the little (laughs) bit that she's in.
2: Let's talk about Merv. Yeah, Merv, let's talk
0: about the Merovingian.
1: Well, the Merv comes back and he's basically kind of like a disheveled, kind of, I guess, homeless person at this point, right? But he is... <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. He's like the train man. Yeah, he's like the train man from Revolutions. Um, a lot of programs have been purged in this new version of the Matrix, including the Oracle, including the Architect. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Merovingian abides. He's still there. He's still trying to, you know hold on to whatever he had. And he, in a very, also very meta moment, is complaining about how things have changed since that matrix, right? He's like the people... Again, people online who are like, "It was so much better." Here's me, like saying, "Like it was so much better when in 2003, when like they would give all this money to the Wachowskis so they could do a highway chase in Mexico and do original movies, you know." And now everything is reboot and retread and whatever, you know. We had style, and now what do we have? Uh, we had
0: art. We had conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. So kind of like a backwards-looking person who, um, is clearly, just. It's kind of an exile who, but he doesn't have even like his power anymore, right? He's he's lost right. all of his, the power that he had. And he's just kind of like trying to scrape by. In that scene, he's been recruited by Smith to stop Neo uh, from reaching Trinity. Um, Smith has gone to, to, to find some other outcasts and exiles to try to stop him because... Mm-hmm. So let's talk Smith. Um, the first time I watched the movie, I didn't understand what was going on with Smith at all. Yeah. This time, this is my what I understood. This time is Smith was also the architect realized not only the 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 connection between Neo and Trinity, but also Neo and Smith, and and everyone who was a part of Neo's past to have them in proximity to him could be useful for the architect to get as much energy for his plan as he wanted obviously morpheus has been liberated and it's in zion so that's a no go but trinity's mm-hmm. corpse and and support and i guess smith for some reason is also being able to be brought into that space and he also doesn't remember who he is for most of the time but he is there to make neo create the video games right he's like his boss at the video game studio And once Neo is liberated, because he has that connection with Smith that we've talked about through these episodes, I kind of like there's another binary between the two of them, a yin and yang, I think we were talking about with Jason and the revolutions episode. Um, He realizes that he's Smith, he feels liberated once again, and he goes on to do his Smith thing. And that's where I don't understand what goes on next, like what his deal is in this movie once he's liberated.
0: Like what is he gonna do if he brings down
1: the analyst? I'm not sure that that's what he wants to do. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what he, what his, what his game plan is once he's liberated. I think it's been clear to me now after talking of the movies with you guys that in the original trilogy, he is replicating himself and he doesn't really fully understand this liberation that he has, and he's the opposite of Neo, so his complete self fish nests and he just wants to perpetrate himself and get and and become the only thing that exists uh, and this mm-hmm. one is different um i think his his um that's not what he's doing i don't think
0: well he starts out trapped as well and mm-hmm. and i think that's also an explanation for why he looks different um do you think that there was a version of this script where they assumed it would be Hugo Weaving playing this character, and that like that moment when when they first show his face would have been more would have been more impactful on the audience, or do you uh, think that they always wrote it with the intention of Smith is going to look a little bit different because that serves the story
1: that's an interesting question um, I can see that definitely being a a thought because it would be crazy to see neo like working Mm -hmm. at this video game going to his boss office and it's smith right and then you but Mm -hmm. that would also maybe like give you a sense of what's going on a little earlier than they think so i could i could picture it but i do think it works this way because of what i said before i do think that at the end of the day just having keanu and carrie and moss be the ones who return ends up working in the movie's favor um okay but
0: what I think because I think part of it is maybe like the character had to be younger, right? He had to be that smarmy, like, yeah, you're the one, you're the creative mind, you're the one that built the success of this company, but I'm younger than you, and yet I'm your boss. And There's I like that's part of uh Neo's frustration.
1: Totally. There's something about casting Jonathan Graff too, and Neil Patrick Harris, these two, like, you know, um, figures, especially Neil Patrick Harris, he's almost like a figure of like, you know, gay assimilation kind of, right? Like he's like the, the kind of like a very non-transgressive, it's almost like casting Ellen DeGeneres, you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? In the movie and and making Mm -hmm. her the villain, the person who wants to restrain the people who want to be a little too free, too different, you know, like she, she, so, so I I find the, the casting of both of those actors very interesting in that way. And what you were saying as well, Lou, the fact that he's this young hotshot who's kind of annoying, you know, and that kind of a thing.
2: Yeah, yeah it's the, tricky. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go though. ahead, go ahead, Amy. Well, Smith is a is a tricky nut to crack in this movie. I think that, um, like you were saying, he's definitely been forcefully detransitioned in a way at the beginning of the movie, back into being a literal suit. Mm-hmm. Um, he or you know, or I guess. Figurative suit, but also he's wearing a suit. But like, but like a nicer suit, a designer suit. Yeah, and a suit that he actually <laughs> kind of has some vanity uh, about. I mean, Smith has always been vain, but yeah, here mm-hmm. he, you know, he he seems to like being Jonathan Groff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He <laughs> likes being young and attractive. Yeah, totally. And at the end of the movie, or in the last act, um, when he shoots the analyst, he tells Neo, um, you know, here's where our alliance ends. And he says something that I'm still trying to unpack. He says. Uh, you know what the difference is between you and me, Tom? And once again, of course, he dead names Neo, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I don't know. I haven't still haven't heard your Revolutions episode, but I'm curious if you talk about that wonderful moment yeah. in the final fight. Yeah. Um, talk about it? So he dead names Neo here again. He says, the difference between me and you, Tom, is you could have been anyone where, uh, what does he say? It's, um, oh, anyone could have been you and I've always been anyone. And I'm mm. like, what the hell does that mean? I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's what makes me so question like what smith's role is in this whole thing um but anyone could have been you take neo's side over the architect he wants to be free like neo and trinity want to be free in a way
2: well, yes yeah, right? so it's clear that he views like the analyst as the enemy the person who you know tra- shackled tra- him. him. yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um and wants out of that prison um, it doesn't seem, however, like he wants to pick up where he left off in Revolutions. It seems like his goal is not the destruction of everything. I feel like Smith at this point is kinda like, I just want to be able to live my life and not play someone else's game. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And that's interesting because it's also the destruction of the Matrix is not the goal for Neo and Trinity at the end of the movie either. Instead, they seem to be like enjoying the fact that they have found their power and they can like they were saying remake the analyst's world to their will and paint rainbows in the sky and whatever so right. i think that's also interesting that it's not about you know destroying once again it's not a binary of like them or us destroy this the the matrix and and live free but it's more about a combination of all those things of like being able to exist within that world, but still have achieve your full potential. Um, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know how to, what, what to think about that. Um, exactly.
0: Well, do you, do you think that they're setting up, uh, Smith? Like, do you think they're setting him up in a, for a sequel because he kind of just goes away like the, the, there's not much resolution at the end of the swarm scene between Neo and Smith. He kind of just goes away for, for
2: the rest of it. My instinct is that the Wachowskis, and Lana in particular here, has very little interest in setting anything up for another movie. Yeah, sure thing. yeah,
1: that's the only thing that makes me think that. I mean, it feels like a moment in which you would see like, oh, there'll be more of him. And, you know, yes. Neo and Trinity are flying away at the end and doesn't feel like it's the Matrix is not destroyed. You know, so that there's still open ends in some ways, but nothing about her or the message of the movie makes me think that there could be more. This does feel very much like the end of it, like a definitive... This is not Toy Story 4, is what I'm trying to say. Toy Story 4, to me, was a movie that was completely superfluous. Nothing that was said in that movie wasn't said already in the other ones. Whereas this movie feels to me like it actually... I can't imagine the Matrix saga without
2: the fourth one after having seen it. Okay, I think I just figured out what... He, I'm sorry, I've just been thinking about this. anyone could have been you, whereas me I've always been anyone line. I think I oh, have please. a read on it. So I think what he's saying is that Neo is not special at all by like by being the one, he is a universal figure. Mm-hmm. and Smith is like, I'm singular. you know like there's only one Smith. So I've all like you like anyone could have been you. Whereas me, I've always been anyone. The, the point is that like the subject of the sentence for Smith is I. Whereas, like anyone could have been Neo, because Neo is yeah. not special. But me, I'm special. So I can I can be anyone. I I have the power. Whereas you are powerless because you are not special. I think that's kind. It's kind of just this like it's a very juvenile comment. Honestly, that's what I, I think. Smith is kind of uh, in reload in our reloaded conversation. We talked about him as adolescent. And mm-hmm. I think that thread is definitely still there here. Um, yeah, Smith. Yeah. He's just like,
1: yeah, we're the, the same, but
2: you're weak, bro. You know?
1: Yeah. 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 He's like, a, he's kind of like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for in kind of like internet lingo. He's like a, he's like an lord or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> he's kind like of that troll. kind of
2: person.
0: Yeah. Troll. Um, and I think you're right. Aby, I think that interpretation is right. Cause that's what I extrapolated from it too. And like, The fact that the one is a a protocol set up by the Oracle and the architect. And the Matrix sort of, not randomly, but like uses, I guess, an algorithm to select uh, a random person. And Mm -hmm. it could be anyone to be the one and to follow the path of the one. Um, Whereas Smith was deliberately designed to be Smith and then discovered that not only like... What do I think what he's saying to Neo is you're a clone. You've been cloned six now, uh, now seven times. Um, whereas I am special because I can clone myself. Like mm-hmm. you are a clone, but I have the ability to clone.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's something about that that, and he does. You know, we said he's a very prideful character, but he does take pride in his abilities, and mm-hmm. in, especially Absolutely. after he's freed. You know, so yeah. So that that tracks for me.
0: Yeah um that is actually uh if y'all are cool with it one of my big three questions Mm. do y'all want to do those big three sure yeah I forgot about that it's been so (laughs) we're so far into the episode okay Lou we gotta get them out no it's fine I I've realized I realized that you know a year after uh starting this I've been doing this podcast I guess a year and a half now um it's an evolving format. I haven't mm-hmm, figured out mm-hmm. the right time to do Lose Big Three, uh, but, you know, whatever. This feels like the right time for this episode, so let's okay, let's okay. go. Um, so, Ryan, go ahead. Lose Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lose Big Three. Thanks, Ryan. Great theme song. Uh, Lose Big Three, <laughs> number one. <laughs> if you could have... Um, if you could be in the Matrix... When you're in the Matrix, if you could have Neo's power set or smith's abilities oh uh which would you rather have
2: um interesting yeah this is a weird movie for that question because neo can't do a lot of the things we expect him to do he can't fly great moment when
0: he does a lot that is a great moment that i love that moment but but he can by the end so i'll include flight in yes he can fly at the end you're right you're right he regains that ability. So, full, uh, like, fully realized Neo or mm. uh, Smith, like, as after fully realized Smith, yeah.
1: I think in this movie, I don't know about the power sets per se, but I think in this movie, well, maybe at the end, not so much, but I do think that Smith is much more in control and cool with his... With his awakening, you know, like Neil has to to struggle through a lot. Let's get Trinity. I feel so very feels very conflicted throughout Smith. When he's awakened, he's like, "Oh, my God, this is great. I'm having an awesome time. I'm gonna plan my revenge and just have a a, a sweet time doing it. Um, so that makes me feel like he is the more um, enjoyable
2: person to be in that scenario. But I don't know. I agree I think yeah I mean at the same time flying is super cool and at the end of the movie you get the sense that Neo and Trinity are literally like setting out to make the Matrix in their own image you know just whatever they want whatever they want and I mean godlike power is hard to say no to
1: Mm. yeah and you get to hang out with Carrie Ann Moss which is cool exactly
2: yeah definitely uh
0: yeah I, I think i'd want neo's powers be- simply for that shield thing that like that um sue storm ability which i just think is so cool um and you know if you, even if you're gonna have a porcelain uh sink basin smashed over your head you can mm-hmm. protect yourself very easily with it by just throwing an elbow up
2: yeah and neo has um, a nice apartment <laughs> in the matrix too
0: that's
1: true. Yes, he does. I do love Smith's like ability to transform himself in this in this movie, though. I did that's always something that I find a cool power. Like they be able to like morph into other people to change your experience. Yeah.
0: yeah, it is cool. He uh what is he? He like he assimilates the um scotch, I think is his name, the 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 barista mm. at Simulate. Mm. Um mm-hmm. which little bit of an Easter egg. Scot Scrooch, his name is Scroach. <laughs> It's because it's uh, there was a storyboard artist, I think Steven Scroach, um, that did like all of, a lot of the storyboard art for The Matrix movies and like now has his own comic book. Uh, so mm. that's a a reference oh, nice. to to that artist. Cool. yeah. Um, also interestingly, like early on in the movie, I think uh, I think they show Tiffany getting a coffee from him and he's talking about how like he he has like an addiction to nicotine or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, which is just funny that that's also part of the matrix. Um, yeah. Lou's big oh, three, number two. Oh, go, but, ahead. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Lou, this, que- this answers one of the questions that you had about revolutions, watching, which I thought about watching it now, which is that I do think the programs and the agents in the matrix go about their lives as if they were regular humans, because we see, you know- <sighs> Yaya Abdul-Mateen as as the agent in the, well, I guess in the modal, but like we see him taking a shower and, you know, going about his day, going to the gym when mm-hmm. he's yep. up. So I do think that you were right in that question that agents and other programs just go about as if they were humans while they're in the matrix.
0: I'm so glad you said that, Conrado, because I, I, I wrote that down, that this is like a, a robots versus dinosaurs first, where a lose big three um, question was explicitly answered by the sequel. Uh, oh, yeah. Because yeah, the, I, uh, Agent Morpheus, when, when Morpheus is Agent Morpheus, he sweats, he showers. I, yeah. I, they imply that he shaves in the mirror. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it really is simulating all of the, um, the dirtiness of real life. Yep. Uh, Lose Big Three, number two. Um, do you, Sorry for all the do honking, you think the that, way. do you think they could have gotten away with calling this movie The Matrix 8. And I'll explain why I landed on that title, <laughs> um, if because you have questions the, about it. But because think the they could have just been like, Matrix. bold-faced, we're releasing this fourth movie, but it's called Matrix 8.
1: You you feel like you would have loved if they did. That would have been a, as a good friend of AVNR's once said, a very Sigma move. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to do that. You know? And I think I would have uh, appreciated it. Although it would have been confusing for people. It's very, sure.
2: it's very um, Empire Strikes Back to suddenly call something you know Episode Five mm-hmm. when it's Right? A yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love the title Matrix Resurrections. Um, it's a better title. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely a better title than my idea. <laughs> but could they have? Sure, sure.
0: Uh, and I think I already explained my reasoning for that earlier, that like, yep. the, the, we, we find out in Reloaded, this is the sixth version of the Matrix, then Neo mm-hmm. sacrifices themselves, so the seventh version is more harmonious. But mm-hmm. then the Analyst uh, reboots it to what is now, unless I'm mistaken, unless I missed a detail, this is now mm-hmm. Matri- the eighth uh, yeah. version of the Matrix.
1: Maybe, um, maybe mm-hmm. they should have called it the Matrix colon, the Analyst's version. That would have
0: <laughs> brought everybody out. <laughs> The- oh, but then, then they couldn't have revealed that the uh, obvious mustache twirling villain was the villain uh, or they, they couldn't have obscured that, you know? You would have, you would have guessed it too, <laughs> early, too early from the title. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lose Big Three number three. This is a very nuanced question, but when, when they show uh, people in their pods, they, particularly Neo and Trinity in this movie, mm-hmm. I noticed there are like little eels swimming around the amniotic fluid are those mm. robot eels? Are those real eels? Like, is it like one of those things where you put like a, an algae fish in your fish tank? Um, Cause it cleans up some of the waste or what I do you think? think that's those definitely
1: are? what it is. I think it's one of those things of like, you know, good botany or something that you mm-hmm. want to keep like some, some stuff in there. I'd wonder if it's organic or machine, I guess it could be either. Um, but
2: it definitely feels to me like that's their purpose. I feel like they're machine just because I feel like the machines a long time ago figured out uh eel like movement, you know if the sentinels are any uh indication of yeah. that that's true that's very true
0: also the the updated hovercrafts like bugs's hovercraft um no, not hers, actually Shepard's. uh Shepherd is like Niobe's kind of right hand mm-hmm. dude that like has to go after bugs um yes. and he has like a more advanced <laughs> hovercraft that does kind of have that eel like tail uh so yeah that that mm, very yeah. well could be tech. Also, this is going to lead into a discussion on, on my favorite character in this movie. Um, it's definitely true that like the, the machines take some designs from nature and implement them. Octocles, for example, looks mm-hmm. kind of like a big beetle. Um, Octocles is the robot that one of the two robots that rescues Neo from his pod. Um, the other one being Sabebe, who looks more like a like a reformatted or refitted sentinel, but Octocles hmm. very, very explicitly looks like a giant beetle. Yeah. Um and it also made me it made me think about another thing that might be a totally different tangent, but we don't see a lot of animals in any of the Matrix movies, mm. other than a cat, a few, yeah. like a few cats. We see two cats total and some birds. Birds. Yeah.
1: And definitely no animals in the outside real world, Uh, only within the matrix.
0: We see see butterflies in in Iowa when they're they're talking about the garden, but are those real butterflies? Are those mechanical butterflies?
1: Mm, Interesting question. They've been able to create strawberries, so maybe they are real. Yeah. Oh my
0: gosh. I love how they made the strawberries. Um, Quillian is their lead digitologist. He's a digital intelligence, a DI. Okay. And he says, we used digital code from the matrix. We retroconvert uh this the we retroconvert the code into DNA sequences, and that's how they make this. Mm-hmm. So the so the machines, when they destroyed our world and created the matrix, they took our knowledge of strawberries to make to create a simulation of them, and then this digital intelligence 20 years, 60 years later, took that digital code and retro-converted it into the real DNA sequence for strawberries.
1: And that is one of the best ways in which the movie shows how the machine's knowledge is useful to humans and how the cooperation is actually improving their life in, you know, in ways beyond just like peace, you know, like
2: they're actually Mm. able to do stuff that they couldn't before. There are a few moments in this movie that the first time I saw it kind of made me cry um, unexpectedly. I like just didn't expect to have tears. And um, one of the first ones was uh, when we meet Sabebe, um, which, by the way, I have a theory on how they named that character. Uh, oh, I'm my pretty God, sure I really someone showed it. a design to Lana and she said, it's a baby. <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> and that's it. Um, that's, so that's very possible because that's like the George Lucas uh, thing with like. Uh, do you know the character Eth Koth from, um, no, from Eith Koth? Star Wars? Eth Koth is one of the Jedi. He's on the Council. You can see okay. him in, in the prequel movies. Um, when George Lucas was looking at the design of this character, he's. I think he's a Zabrak. He has like like mm-hmm. tusks and stuff coming out, not tusks, but like Orange. spikes and stuff coming out of his head. And w- apparent, the story goes. I don't know how true this is, but the story is that. George Lucas was walking by the table where they were like designing this, this character's head and mask. And he said, eek, a moth. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and, and whether or not that's true, I could believe that. I could Absolutely. see George Lucas yeah. doing that. So yeah, maybe totally. it was that. My, I, um, I looked at the spelling of Sabebe and it's like C-Y-B-E-B-E. So it, I think I love your theory, A.B. It could also be like, cyber baby
2: right right, right. Um, i mean it is a cyber baby i'll give you that the reason oh go ahead conrado sorry no
1: no no. i was gonna ask you why did you cry what made you cry about the baby
2: right so i think one level was the sort of thematic philosophical level which was just i was so moved because in that moment neo's like mm-hmm. god it feels like all of everything we went through was for nothing yeah and mm-hmm. as he's saying that you see before they introduce the synthians you see them and mm-hmm. i kind of got there a moment just a moment before the movie does we you're like oh no they have Machines on their side now And that mm-hmm. moved me so tremendously mm-hmm. And then the second thing is When Neo meets Sabebe Sebabe kind of purrs There's this like deep cat-like purr <sighs> And it yeah. just kind of headbutts Neo And mm-hmm. uh, Conrado, you know this certainly But um, for listeners who don't I have a cat named Fig And uh, early on we saved Fig From my sister's farm And I taught him how to That makes butt. it sound like your sister was terrorizing him No, sorry, farm. my sister's a farmer He was a friendly cat on the farm We decided to take him home Mm-hmm. And uh, I taught Fig had a headbutt, and um, now we greet each other by butting heads. Yeah. And I think I just saw in this moment that, like, Neo and this mm-hmm. Synthian mm-hmm. were communing in the same way that I do with my cat, uh, and it was tremendously moving. Yeah. That's Sabebe's exactly great. one of the reasons Sabebe is, like, so endearing to
0: me as well. It, it reminded me of a dog, because um, mm-hmm. that's something I used to do with my dog. Like, I would greet it, pet it, and, like, it would put its head down. She would put her head down and I would put my forehead against hers. And there's just this unspoken communication.
2: There's something about like
0: head, you know, like head against head communication. I don't know. It's very special. Well, I, so I used to be a scuba diver and that's something that, um, so they taught us that we had this whole lesson about like rescue swimming. And, um, let's say like your dive partner gets tangled up in lines and, Mm -hmm. um, you go down and you realize I need, I need a tool. I need maybe like a cutting tool if they're tangled up in something before I can actually get you out of this. They tell you a very, very important step. You have to go up to that person, put your mask up against theirs and make eye contact. Mm. Um, because that will reassure that's like the, that's the unspoken message of, Hey, I'm coming back. Like I need to Mm. go, but I'm coming back.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And the and and bugs even explicitly says at one point like the definition of our side has changed. Yes. You know yeah. we've got um Sebabe, uh Octocles Luminate, I think is like the little one that sits on uh Sequoia's desk. Mm-hmm. Um and he like fist bumps it when they when they're celebrating. <laughs> and that's uh, also
1: something that I really
0: appreciated about this sequel is how
1: they took their time to to do something different and to think about how things would have changed you know yes, and definitely. what would have happened in the in the meantime um you know not to be like all like poo poo on star wars or whatever but the force awakens it's very like kind of nonchalant about like yeah whatever it's like we're back to like kind of how things were just because you know or like we will mm-hmm. explain it quickly or whatever but yes. this really thinks about okay so once neo came out and then we're part of his deal was that everyone who didn't want to be in the matrix has to unplug. So that would generate an energy crisis. So the machines would start to turn on each other and et cetera, et cetera. And you go from there. And, and I really appreciated that, that they were like, we don't want to just go back to the beginning and everything's the same. And what Neo did didn't mean anything.
0: This is absolutely. And in doing something. Oh, go ahead, ahead, Ivy. No, please. It's. It, I was just going to say, it's something they've been. Uh, they've also laid the foundation for in the first movie because the Oracle is a program on the quote unquote machine side that sided with yeah, the humans or realized ben. our quote unquote our side isn't a binary. It's not us versus them. There needs to be a mm-hmm. we.
2: Mm-hmm. It's totally true, and I think in doing all of that work of building out the history between the movies. They're able to actually answer some of the questions that emerge from this movie in really beautiful ways. Like, mm. for example, anyone who is uncomfortable with, you know, Yaya's Morpheus, well, we do eventually see Morpheus, like mm-hmm. the real Morpheus, when we mm-hmm. get to Io and or we get to the ruins of Zion, and we realize that oh, well, Morpheus was a zealot who believed that Neo's peace would last forever, mm-hmm. and as a result, Zion fell. And I think that's just like very sad, obviously, but also yeah. very true to Morpheus's character.
1: Yeah. 100% yep. true. I, I, yeah, that's, that's totally right. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. Cause they,
0: they could have gone in a more like Mary Sue direction and I'm grateful they didn't. I'm, I'm grateful they were true to Morpheus's character up to the bitter end.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the way, last time Lou on your big three for Reloaded, you asked us for like what our matrix names would be. And I wanted yes. to issue a correction. Last time I said Orpheus, um, mm-hmm. since we recorded the last episode, I've had some um, important uh, experiences Uh and I feel like I've accessed the part of me, my my true self in a a realer way. And I know now that I think my matrix name would be Hypnos. Okay. Does this have something to do
0: with Pokemon? Like was that part Uh, of your revelation? No,
2: Hypnos is the Greek god of sleep. um, And I think that there's uh, a profound truth that I was able to access kind of in in the realm between waking hypnosis. life and sleep yeah um, yeah,
1: cool. yeah um i'm glad you brought this up avi uh without going into too much detail avi and i may or may not have had some you know kind of like uh psychedelic altering uh experiences in the in the next couple in the last couple of weeks and okay. what one i was uh for lack of better terms, tripping balls. I (laughs) thought a lot about this movie and The Matrix, and and especially coming out of that experience, which was very intense in many ways, readjusting to regular life really made me feel like I was feeling like Neo does in this movie. And I felt very moved Mm -hmm. watching it again to re-experience that. Just a sense of having accessed for a moment the potent potential of the world for incredible happiness, incredible harmony, incredible beauty, and then having to return to the flawed version of the world and having to accept that in a way, feeling like you're home, but also feeling like you have missed something. Yes. Um, mm. And in this movie, it's not a perfect analogy, but I do mm. think that it, it really captures that, that, that element of mourning, mourning, something that to you felt very real but that the world around you tells you it wasn't real you know and, mm. then how, and 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 what this movie provides that real life you know it's different is the ability to actually confirm that what you thought was real but the world was telling you isn't real is in fact real and Absolutely. that's very
0: satisfying that is well, i i i th- I think I can sort of uh, extrapolate what you guys might be hinting towards. And I I can say like my personal experience with such things, I kind of had a similar, um, come like the, the come down, you know, Mm -hmm. when you come down Mm -hmm. from the high, um, where instead of being like more cynical because, Oh, I had this experience and I saw how beautiful everything is. It was like, no, from now on, I can look at things differently because I reached that apex. Um, Robots versus Dinosaurs, listeners. Does encourage you if you are gonna uh, experiment with drugs to do so responsibly and in a safe environment. Um, that's gonna be my only disclaimer on that. Uh, that enough. does remind me of a very, very funny moment in this movie when when Morpheus comes into uh, uh, Neo's building, uh, his workplace, to try to, to, to try to free him the first time, mm-hmm. and he he offers him the red pill, and and his reaction. It's so good because it could be one of many things. It's either like he uh, Keanu Reeves just gets this really troubled look on his face And he's like oh mm-hmm. oh no mm-hmm. And that could very well be like No this is just like in my game This is ridiculous like I mm-hmm. can't accept this It could also be This guy in flashy clothes in the bathroom Is offering me drugs <laughs> yeah. Like oh god This is all crazy <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah
1: That's a great moment His reaction is very I think Very s- potent. And I, and I think, I know you want to say something, AB, and I'll hand it back to you. I just wanted to pause for a moment to say just Keanu and Carrie and Moss in this movie, the performance is just like, so emotional. Like, I feel mm. like it's like, I've been watching a lot of Nicolas Cage movies lately and just like trying to like figure out his acting style. And I feel mm. like Keanu is different mm. from Cage for sure, but they both have something that allows them to enter this kind of like very, very emotional place that that I feel like sometimes feels a little uncomfortable to people. Like this that scene in the bathroom, I I remember some people on Twitter making fun of it, like saying like, what is going on here? This is very weird. I think because Keanu was so connected to that like raw emotion of like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to have anything to do with this, like freaking out uh, in a different way from like how Nick Cage would do it, but in a very uh, effective way. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. So, Amy what to no,
2: say? No, it's. I think that's such a beautiful point, and I wholeheartedly agree that the performances in this movie, and in particular, Keanu's and Carrie Anne Moss's, are so moving. And honestly, my favorite scene in the movie is that second meeting of theirs when they sit down to have coffee. And yeah, the scene we talked about earlier, where Carrie Anne Moss, where Trinity describes, you know, her husband not recognizing her, um, in part because the two of them are so emotionally invested in these characters. And I think that question that we discussed early on in the episode that the movie is posing in its first act of like, why do we want this movie to exist? And I think the follow-up question of, well, what is the cost of that desire? Um, And uh, Emily Vanderwerf, a wonderful critic, wrote a really beautiful piece on this movie's exploration of therapy. And she was noticing that one of the takes that was emerging after the movie was that everyone's like, oh, wow, this is a really anti-therapy movie. Or this movie's saying that like therapy Mm. is another system of control. And that take didn't sit well with her um, because she felt it was more nuanced than that. Um, yeah. it's not that therapy is bad in this case; it's that the therapist is bad. It's that Neo has fallen sway, has been swayed by a particular person who is using the tools of psychoanalysis to trap yeah, him, to control him, to control him.
1: And in some ways, that is an important part also of the uh, trans experience in terms of like at least some health systems, you know, like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of places in the world in which you have to prove to an analyst, to a doctor, to a psychiatrist, that you are a trans person. They just won't
2: accept your word for it, you know, like kind of. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of those techniques that the analyst uses, these grounding techniques that say like, be in the present, you know, feel your genes, look at the cat, like listen to the bell, you know, all those things, Mm -hmm. they're good tools for grounding you in the moment. But the moment that the analyst is grounding him in is a lie. Yeah. And he's in a way a very bad therapist because he's asking Neo to ignore the things that Neo is really feeling. And so mm-hmm. I think in that moment in the bathroom, um I well, all the way I by the way I agree that Keanu's performance is so raw that it is uncomfortable because mm-hmm. he's deeply uncomfortable. It's this moment mm-hmm. where he is like, "Oh my god, I'm having a full psychotic break." And yeah. he's terrified. And he yeah. gets really really scared.
1: Yeah. yeah. He doesn't look cool in that moment, and that no. and that's great. That's very powerful. It is.
0: There's um there's a really great great quote that's one of the most like Wachowski's thing in uh, that I've ever seen in any of their work. Um, so there's this montage where uh, it's when Christina Ricci shows up and she's she's like the the executive Warner Brothers and and they're having like this um, creative meeting to try to figure out like what how do we make this Matrix Four game? Uh, what does it need to be? She's talking about like they did. Um, uh, focus groups and the two main words were originality and fresh. And I, first of all, I love the fact that the Matrix coded uh, cre- obnoxious creative types. Like it knew how to write <laughs> the program for create, uh, obnoxious creative types talking at a meeting. And I, I think I wrote down like the entire thing and I'm not going to read it all. But what struck me a lot was like, first... Um, they show multiple characters saying like literally the same thing, but like slightly different. So, you yeah. you as the audience start to question, oh, this must be some kind of loop. And do these do these people do these creatives even know that they're stuck in a loop or are they so um, are they such that obnoxious creative type that they're repeating themselves and just hoping nobody notices because they're like, uh, what made the Matrix different? It effed with your head. Um, people want us up in their gray space switching their synaptic WTF light on. And later he says, they want us up in their gray space switching their synaptic, what the hell is going on here light on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just close enough, but it's just different enough that that even though it's the next day, like that could be, okay, this guy said the same thing yesterday, or it could be, no, we're running this program again, but we've altered one of the dialogue tree lines a little bit or we've yeah. reached a different branch of the dialogue tree. Um, that
1: sounds like a very uh, <laughs> poignant and accurate depiction of a Hollywood writer's room um, Yes, kind of a thing, um, which, like a little dick, which I just want to say, if anyone wants mm-hmm. to read a very funny, great play that makes fun of that experience, there's a play called mm-hmm. The Antipodes by Annie Baker, which mm-hmm. is great, which I love, which is just takes place in a writer's room, and it's very, very... Uh, funny and surreal and unexpected in many ways. So I recommend that if anyone's into writing, reading plays, speaking of oh,
2: writers' room, awesome. Is this the only Matrix with a post-credit scene? Not counting, the I trailer, think it of course, is at the end of
1: the trailer at the end of Reload is the only other thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but th- so the, this moment though, this this like what like peak Wachowski moment happens during this montage. Uh, Neo at one point goes goes to the bathroom and on the inside of the bathroom stall, in like, you know, classic bathroom graffiti, is written one of the most poignant statements in this entire (laughs) series. It is so much simpler to bury reality than it is to dispose of dreams. Mm. And it's given, it's not given the full weight of pretentiousness that the statement carries. It's just like the thing we were talking about, the Oracle, where like everything she's saying could be delivered with this very heavy hand but because mm-hmm. she's just, like, friendly grandma, you know, cookie-baking grandma, it, it softens yeah. the blow a little bit It makes it non-pretentious. The fact that this, this profound statement is written in glib bathroom graffiti, uh, it, uh, there's a word for that, and I'm, uh, it's, like, escaping me, but it's so perfect. It's so recountful.
2: It's profound. Me. I mean, th- you're absolutely right. Like, the mysteries of the universe sometimes do exist in bathroom graffiti. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the Wachowski's whole thing. We, we talked about this with the rave. Like they're not at all precious about where we find meaning and oneness and connection. Like you can find it in a beautiful sweeping romance. You can also find it sitting on the toilet. Like mm-hmm. it's cause it's all around us, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: How do we feel about Sati showing up during this montage? I kind of love like, just the, the uh, I, I don't really know Priyanka Chopra Jonas from anything else, but I love like her little, she slides the book towards Neo mm. and it's like, uh, it's Alice through the looking glass. She like gi- she literally gives him like the finger guns and the like the mm-hmm. wink. Um, and it's not revealed until later who she is and why she's trying to contact him. But what, what do y'all think of like her, uh, in general, what do you think of Sati? What do you think of Priyanka yeah. Chopra Jonas? That's another
1: part of the movie that made me wonder if there's a version, a cut of the movie in which she is more in the beginning of the movie. She has more scenes and we learn who she is within The Matrix or who she's pretending to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when she Mm -hmm. appears in the montage, the first time I didn't even clock it until it was really just the second time around that I was like, oh, yeah, there she is. There she is in the montage.
0: Um, I clocked it only because of like the weirdness of the, the finger guns and the wink. And I was like, who is this person?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't recognize Priyanka Chopra at that moment. And it was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is weird that this lady is giving him a book. And then later I was like, Oh, that's Priyanka Chopra, you know? But Mm -hmm. um, I do think that, um, sorry, what was the question? That what do we think of her, of Sajj's appearance? Yeah.
0: I don't know if I had a question. I just wanted y'all to like riff on on the I, character for a little bit. Yeah.
1: I have to say, I don't fully understand the, the, the history of Sati's parents uh, after what we talked about in revolutions. I love that she comes back because mm. she's a great character. Um, and I, and I love that they call back to that, but she says, basically she says she gives like the rogue one speech kind of thing here. Right. Mm-hmm. She's saying my dad created the plants. And so that's why, how I, why I know how
2: to take this down kind of mm. a thing. And the anomalium. I don't yeah. know that. I also fully understand the heist that they pull, to be honest.
1: But I also don't understand her parents. I thought that in revolutions, her parents were going to be deleted. And I I guess that's not the case.
2: They were like... Uh, Well, I thought they they were going to be housed by the Merovingian. I think, well, she was.
0: That was the the deal in in revolutions. The deal that they made um, was that they were going to drop her off and um, then they were going to go and like, I guess, try to hide back in the Matrix. What she... Her conversation later on with Neo... Mm -hmm. Um, she does say like they, they were discovered. Um, he, Ramakandra ended up being the chief engineer of the anomalium. And she said, it's like his greatest regret that he, what he ended up building was used for such a sinister purpose. And they, one, she, I I think what she says is like, they transferred all of their knowledge of the blueprints and everything to her, but they got caught doing that. And Mm -hmm. the analysts purged them. Right, so she's um, so R2-D2 with
1: up. the plans, and yeah. there Princess Leia running away, but they do get caught and killed. The thing is that I don't understand when this happened, because I thought, well, first of all, I thought they were going sacrificing themselves in revolutions, so they were going to be uh, perched or something. But I guess the Matrix just kept them, and when the, this plan came up, they took him out of storage to be like, oh, we want you to create this thing.
2: Yeah. yeah, I feel like in Revolution, Smith took over the Matrix so quickly that maybe they just didn't have a time... Like, there wasn't time for them to be exiled or to be sure, you know, sure. deleted. That makes you sense. just kept and then eventually was, oh, there is use for you after all kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, well, sure, then,
0: well, well, because immediately after that, they reboot it to Matrix uh, 7, which is right. the more harmonious version. And I could definitely yeah. see, like, the Architect being like, okay, Ramakandra, you were a really good program, um, so we can definitely... You know, you can, you can come back. We can find a use for you. Build this mm-hmm. om- anomalium for us.
2: Mm. Right. And I definitely think a, a fair amount of time passes after, like, because the architect we know, we find out was true to his word that, you know, anyone yeah. who wanted to leave the matrix left. And it was only during this energy shortage that machine civil war happened and then the mm-hmm. analyst had this power vacuum to step into. So yeah. a fair amount of time passed before Neo and Trinity were resurrected. Yeah. I think... Right?
1: And that's That was my impression. So that's why the, I was wondering about the time of all these things and the, when Ramakandra is like brought back or not. Right. Um,
0: so yeah, yeah, that's one of the things that I was wondering about. Let me try to look at like, what is the most important thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: to talk about? Uh, Bug says they took your story, something that means so much to people like me and turned it into something trivial. I love that moment when Sequoia, they're like, "Well, what happens if it does, doesn't work?" And he's like, "Well, then we're all fucked." And then you hear a beeping noise. <laughs> just a good, just a good gag. We talked about Quillian. We talked about like uh, the exomorphic particle codex. What do y'all think of that? Paramagnetic oscillation. The fact that programs can now do this Tron thing, where they come out of the Matrix and have mm. a semi-physical body.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's really, and it looks really cool. It's one of the coolest visual elements of the film. Definitely. And we see like magnetic bead Morpheus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I couldn't possibly explain how that would work. Like what's the central point? Like when he jumps through that uh, force field and and loses mm, a bunch of pieces right, of right. himself. Like, well, yeah. what's the what's the core of this form that like if you lose parts of it, like, what is the center that's, that's detracting? I don't know. That's, we don't have time for that either. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm not even sure we'd find an answer. Yeah, I guess uh, we already, ta- already kind of talked about how it wraps
2: up. We have to talk about a moment we haven't talked about. Okay, yes. go well, ahead. We must talk about what I think is the most ecstatic, also tear-inducing moment of the movie, which is Neo and Trinity jumping off the building.
1: Oh, mm. of course. Okay. A lot and of great moments between them. When they reach hands and, and all the agents ex- fly away, Ugh, that's a great moment. And then, incredible. of course, they mm-hmm. run up to the top of the building and they're about to jump.
2: And just that moment is the culmination, obviously. It's the climax of the movie. It's also mm-hmm. the culmination of, this, of the whole series in a lot of ways. Just this moment of Neo, who in this movie has so much despair and really feels so lost, having lost faith, Trinity finding it in herself
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then Neo believing in her and finding again, finding oneness, finding the sense of the one, not in himself, not in his own self-belief, but in his, in totally. her. It's in so the awesome. connection,
1: And coming in full circle because exactly. the whole thing in the first movie is like Trinity believing in Neo that he's the one, exactly. right? And when she mm. dies, she tells him, I believed, you know, like I, I believe in you. And then here it's the opposite. And it's just this thing of like, what made them strong was not that he was the one or she's the one, but it's just like their connection to each other.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. And look, I'm not an evangelist for like practical versus digital or whatever, but the fact that they did that jump for real and you can look oh up. Oh my on God. The on YouTube, I
1: couldn't believe it. I was like, it's I'm afraid. Of unreal.
2: Oh, it's so cool. And it, lo- it does look real. I mean, like it, yeah, it's, it looks great. You know, when they're silhouetted against the sky, it's just, you can tell they're dangling up a mm. ton of stories, you know, it's incredible here's what I'm going to run through some of the trivia uh, that I like
0: little bits of trivia that I wanted to call out. So Kujaku is the machine, the really cool like bird-like machine Mm -hmm. that Sati rides around in and also like helps with the rescue of Trinity later on. Kujaku is Japanese for peacock, um, which is a very, very like big figure in mythology in Japanese mythology. Uh, There's more on that that you can look up. Maybe I'll like link an article to that in the show notes. Um, The Nemocene is the name of bugs's ship it's mark three uh number 19 which is definitely a biblical reference mark (laughs) 319 but it also says made in the eu year 2274 Hmm. um okay and they literally what they're saying is this is a commentary on brexit that (laughs) this machine the eu is one of the only uh, nation-states that survived the, the, like, the future war because it was unified. Wow. So this is like commentary by the Wachowskis <laughs> that this ship
1: <laughs> wow. was made
0: Whoa. in the EU um, hundreds of years after the, the rest of the world disappeared.
2: No kidding. Also, um, fun fact, Pneumision is the Greek god of memory. Oh, ah,
0: yeah. Mm. That makes sense.
2: Oh, which makes a lot of sense in this movie. Yes.
0: One last... Okay, I have one last thing. When the analyst is talking to mate, uh, more, uh, Neo early on in the movie, I think there's a lot of groundwork that like, if you're paying attention, if you've ever seen a movie before, you know this guy is going to be the villain. Um, <laughs> the fact that he's but, a
1: therapist, is it, honestly?
0: <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a big part of it. But he sa- he's talking to, to, he's like trying to dispel Neo of all these delusions that he's having, quote unquote. And he says, you know, you converted elements of your life into a narrative. Um mm-hmm. And he's, he's listing off specific things. And then he says, even your dislike of my cat made it into your matrix. Mm. Yeah. And I realized watching this for like the sixth or seventh time. nah, Because you said earlier in that conversation, Neo came to you after he tried to jump off the roof. Um, and that's when like he started having to come to therapy, yes. right? Uh-huh. That was way after thomas anderson built the matrix games because he was the reason he jumped off three he was receiving like a lifetime yeah. achievement award or something for mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. success some, some sort of award for making the matrix games so he hadn't even met the therapist or seen his cat uh to be able to put it into the video game so that's like a big or not a big but it's a very subtle clue that uh the analyst is lying to him and like yeah fudging the timeline
1: Here's what I will say as kind of like we need to wrap up very soon, but this will be my last thing, provocation to put out there. A new theory, okay. last minute theory. This is not the eighth version of the Matrix. It's the ninth. Because Neo, okay. when he's jumping out of the building off the building, and Buck sees him, he doesn't look mm-hmm. the way that he looks when he mm-hmm. looks in the mirror in the other scenes. He looks completely bald and like a no- different actor, which makes me think that is something that, after he jumps, they kind of recalibrated and restarted.
2: I think we have evidence that it's even more than the ninth because he, the analyst talks about how every time he let Neo and Trinity get too close to each other, everything fell apart. And he oh. like had to calibrate their distance from one, like yeah. the ability, you know? So I, I feel yeah, like they, they ran through this a bunch of times. Uh, so they should have called this the
0: matrix 12 right exactly um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh uh conrado do you have, we'll skip over what's your know, snack but do you have time for a quick uh devito and Whoopi recast of course
1: i always have time for devito and Whoopi.
0: all right so if we were going and uh if we were going to recast the matrix mm-hmm. resurrections any two characters from the movie with danny devito and Whoopi goldberg who would you recast how would it have improved the sequel
1: mm-hmm.
2: who wants to go first
1: um, do you have any thoughts, A.B.?
2: Um, DeVito should be the analyst because okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, I don't want to end on a sour note at all, but I do feel like um, Neil Patrick Harris's performance was like the one I wasn't crazy about in the movie. I really liked his performance as the therapist but then once it was revealed that he was the bad guy it kind of fell flat mm. for me a little bit. Okay, in part, okay. I have a theory okay. as to why which is that I feel like he and Jonathan Groff kind of operate on similar acting registers and I think Jonathan Groff's just better at it. So I just always mm. felt a little off with him. So once they it. were both being villainous, he kind of flexed. I was just like, yeah, okay, he okay. kind of flattened <laughs> for me a bit. Um that said, I think Devito as the analyst uh, really works because I think he'd be able to play both the like kind of harmless therapist who's really present with Neo mm-hmm. and then also do the villain mustache twirling thing in a way that's a little less like sinister and a little more like I don't know, I think Devito's just a great villainous yeah. actor, you know. I think
1: Devito could pull mm-hmm. it off really well. That's a great choice. Um I think Whoopi... We'll be... Um, I see her in Zion this time. I don't know if she maybe could be like the botanist. Maybe there's like a whoopee that's made out of little particles that we can see explain this whole thing about the strawberry <laughs> baby. Something okay. like that.
2: Or like, you know, someone who's like with uh, Niobe. Uh, you raise an interesting point. Something the Matrix movies never really allow is like because you can do whatever you want in the Matrix, how come like everyone who goes into the Matrix and is a badass is always like young and fit outside of the Matrix? Like, why can't Whoopi be one of the crew members on the Nemo sign and inside yeah. the Matrix be like a total badass? Mm.
1: Great point, because we talked about it with the first one that they had this idea of having a character switch, switch like, right. you know, in that case, genders, but just like mm-hmm. appearance in between the Matrix and the real world. So it would have been cool to come back to that idea in this last movie where she has a little bit more of like freedom to do
2: a little bit of whatever she wants. You know, yeah, maybe you can make her like mobility impaired outside of the Matrix, but inside the Matrix, she's running around and shit. That yeah. would have
0: been interesting, yeah. Um, I've got uh, I've got Whoopi Goldberg as the analyst, um, mm, and I okay. and you know I think you guys gave me better options for that, but I do think I have the right answer for Devito, and it's Sabebe. Uh, <laughs> oh well, <laughs> but absolutely zero CG, just, just DeVito. Danny DeVito, just DeVito painted silver, maybe oh, wearing yeah. like some <laughs> kind of like prosthetic or something, or something. Yeah. just like purring himself, like uh, it is the one and only way to improve that otherwise perfect character. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, A B Conrado, this was a wonderful, wonderful time talking about uh the Matrix Resurrections. I had a great time talking to you about the, the the entire Matrix saga. Um this is this is kind of the end of the road, but uh A B, if if we can figure out a time, I would actually love to try to um have a conversation about the animatrix at some point, if you're still down for that. So there may or may not be a bonus episode coming soon, but I think we're leaning towards the maybe side of that.
1: (laughs) So we're not leaning any particular side at all.
2: (laughs) Also like 10 years from now, once we've been able to digest this movie a little more, I think we should absolutely come back on and revisit it. Yes. When they inevitably make the,
0: the matrix reboots. Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. I think before we wrap up should we do like a quick Matrix ranking of like what do what movie Whoa. do we like the best um, yes after this rewatch I think I landed on my favorite is Reloaded I think it's my absolute favorite it's just I think it introduces what I love the most about the saga which is this kind of like twisting things up in unexpected ways from what you expected in the first movie complicating all that stuff second favorite Resurrections 'Cause it really emotionally hits me really hard. I think third favorite revolutions, and my least favorite, I think, is the first one after Whoa. this. Um yeah, well, you know, when we talked about it, I told you, Lou, that I wasn't I really liked the others better, kind of. Um, so mm-hmm. that's where I landed.
2: A B. Um, you know, Conrado, I might actually no, I think I'm gonna switch revolutions and resurrections. For me, it's reloaded oh, okay. first.
0: Revolutions,
2: okay. then Resurrections, then the first one, honestly. And again, it's like absurd to say. Yes. It's not, that is not to say that The Matrix is not a good movie. It's a fucking incredible movie. No. Um, it's just everything that I love in these movies benefits from like its expansion in scope and scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, something I so love about Resurrections is is something people critiqued was how much they like put up the footage of the old movies in this movie. And I thought it was so beautiful because it forces you as an audience member to recognize that it's not the same. Time has passed. Things are different. They look very different. They're not. They
1: were shot on film and this was shot. Yes. And and it doesn't want you
2: to have that. Like it wants to break your nostalgia consciously. Yeah. And it helps believe
0: that it's a layer of like this is a video game because it's it's not the footage doesn't look as good as the images we're seeing on the movie screen right now. Yeah, totally. uh, it's like an FMV from like PlayStation 2 graphics Definitely. or something like that. Yeah.
2: But Reload um, has to be the top because it falls into that category of movies, uh, the most that most elite category of movies, which is a movie I could play on a loop at a party forever.
1: Okay, nice. Okay. Luke, what do you think? You were saying um, Resurrections might be your favorite,
0: huh? Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot and it's, it's almost a coin toss between uh, Resurrections and the first movie. But where I land on The Matrix 4, The Matrix Resurrections being my favorite one, um, because of I think, A.B., you kind of just encapsulated this. The Wachowskis are better at world building and expanding an original idea than any other creatives or filmmakers that I've, that I've like digested their material ever before. Um, and the, and the fact that that four movies late four movies and and 20 years later they're adding new things, new concepts and expanding on concepts that they've already laid the groundwork for in mm-hmm. ways that are so satisfying and that like I said before the more you dig deep, the more you analyze them, the more rewarding they are, the more you understand the complete picture. That's the reason why I would say like this one is my favorite. Because it's it's such a precarious ledge that they're balancing on, uh, mm-hmm. and they and they pull it off so miraculously. So this is the one I I think I enjoy the most and I could watch the most, um, but I would never get tired of watching the first one or the other two. Um, and the, and at this on the other side of that, Reloaded and Revolutions are so linked together in my mind that mm. I I don't even I don't even have like a number three and number four. They're just uh, together. Yeah, the third. All right. Yeah. I feel you.
1: I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Um okay. Uh I do have to run, sadly, because okay. of the technical issues. But my fault. Um, Sorry about
0: that.
1: It's it's all good. It was a pleasure to be with you this whole month, Lou. Um, I'm always down to come to talk more robots, more dinosaurs, more matrix, or more anything. Um, uh, thanks everybody for listening and watch wormholes. Uh there'll be a link in the
2: subscription, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure.
0: All right. Maybe you want to say, you want to wrap up your thoughts um, and say goodbye. I'll
2: say, you know, first of all, if anyone loves the matrix resurrections, loves the matrix movies in general, and is generally down for like white people who are super into Eastern mysticism and philosophy, then I encourage (laughs) folks to check out David Mitchell's books too. um, Mm. Because I'm a particular fan of the bone clocks, um, which I think if you love these matrix movies, you'll absolutely love the bone clocks. Um, And otherwise, uh, Thank you, Lou, for having me on for two of these. It's been a joy talking to both of you guys about these movies. you know, I just spoke with um my friend Trevor the other day, who listened to our episode on Reloaded, and he was not a big Matrix Sequels fan. And he said it's impossible to listen to that episode and not love that movie more. So uh, awesome. wow. it's a gift to know Thanks, that we're Trevor, you know, exactly, right? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? So it's so lovely to to be able to, or hope rather that we're giving people, you know. A, an avenue to find new appreciation for these
1: movies. We're giving people something they thought they would never get. What is that? A second chance. Just
2: yes. Like in the Matrix
0: Resurrection. Perfect. That's the perfect way to end it. Uh, awesome. Well, Trevor, if you're listening, make sure to um, rate, subscribe. review, and subscribe. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we'll give you even more Matrix content. Um, awesome. Well, thanks, Seth. Thanks, guys. Uh, and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you,
2: Thank you. You're absolutely right. Like, the mysteries of the universe sometimes do exist in bathroom graffiti.
1: He realizes that he's Smith. He feels liberated once again, and he goes
2: on to do his Smith thing. We didn't even talk about Jude.